Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Teams go testing. It's great to actually get here and take the time to play with the cars and give the endurance drivers a few miles in the seat as well. Robert Dalgren tells us what it's like to be in Australia. If I can keep moving like this, moving forward, I should be on to it and, and hopefully together with Scott we'll be all right. And we look at the 50 best on the V8 supercar era. That's all coming up today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insider. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Would you like to own a V8 supercar just like Lounge, Winker, or Frosty? Maybe historic Australian muscle cars are more your thing. Well, stop dreaming and go to motorfocus.com.au. We have over 2,000 highly detailed models in stock ready to mail. Get your models online at motorfocus.com.au. Here is the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today. Five Victorian teams spent Monday at Winton as they looked to develop their new generation cars. Brad Jones Racing, Walkinshaw Racing, Volvo Polestar, Nissan Motorsport and Ford Performance Racing all worked through a number of changes with the conditions at the track perfect. All but the international co-drivers were on hand to cut some all-important laps ahead of the season of endurance. The final seat at BJR looks to be going to Chris Pither, who, although not yet signed, was driving the GB Commodores alongside Dale Wood. Nissan drivers, they spoke about a productive day on the test track. And uh, we've been quite lucky here with the weather. At this time of year, the temperature is really quite stable as well, so we've been able to get a really solid day of testing in, which is much needed at the moment. The guys have accumulated so many things that they want to try on all four cars, and we're actually going to struggle to get through the list of things that we want to try. Hi everyone, James Moffat here. I'm inside my Norton Hornet. A really, really important and timely test day for us. Majority of all the Victorian-based teams are up here testing along with us, so it's a very busy day. So Taz Douglas had the chance to hop inside number 360 before and did some laps, so that was great. Uh, the only co-driver that's not here is Alex Bumpkin because he was racing uh, in England on the weekend. So uh, logistically a bit hard to get him over here to Winton for the day, but uh, I think he'll be out for a couple of days later on in the year. Lucas Dumbrell's team had already tested at Winton earlier this year, so they're concentrating their efforts ahead of Darwin at looking to unlock more power from the car. A number of Dunlop Series teams also ran down there at Winton, including Brad Jones' son, Macaulay Jones, who, after racing overseas earlier this year, is set to make his V8 debut in Townsville. 
Volvo pilot Robert Dahlgren spoke to us about his experience so far in the V8 Supercar Series. I think it's good that you said experience because it's definitely experience. <laughs> it's, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. Like, I'm really glad I've been on, on high-speed tracks, I've been on, on slow speed, and I've been on the soft and the hard compound tyre, and, and yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. Um, I think I'm getting there, getting closer, and... I think PA today after qualifying just showing that, that I started to get the grips with it and hopefully we can run in, in top 10 from now on. Obviously uh, you've done this before, brought new cars to a, a race a racetrack and had to get them, you know, get them up to speed as quickly as possible. Yeah. Has this car been much different in what you've had to try and do to others? Yeah, it's 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 asked a little bit differently to uh, of the car than than uh, than I have had previously. So it had taken a little while, but I think well by the time we came to the Grand, like it's not a long time, but by the time we came to the Grand Prix, we start to get onto the right track um, and get it better and better. And uh, we have improved the car quite a bit, and I think especially showing that on on the track like Winton. I mean, I wasn't up there yet, but at least the, the, the changes we made helped Scott. So it feels like I'm a bit of a part of it, at least, and, and bringing the car there. And now I started to get the hang of how to drive fast. So, so we're getting there. I think hopefully within a couple of rounds we'll be really fighting for victories together. Having had the experience in other series like you have, when you look at the debates that are going on like we have a parody debate going on because the volvo is apparently so much better than everyone else's car what do you think what do you think of that sort of thing because uh, we media enjoy the arguments but what do you as a driver think when you go what are they arguing over I think it's a bit ridiculous. I mean, uh, why not just take your hat off and, and say congratulations to, to GRM and Polestar and those that have done the good job. And I mean, uh, Nissan and uh, Mercedes had the same opportunity when they come, came into the championship. And I, I think we they're just doing it, have done it really well. And I think it's it's a hat off to the whole team and, and Volvo and everybody that have uh, done that. And I mean... It's not like it was one thing if we were two cars blitzing the field, but I mean, just look at it and it's uh, how many race victories and how many poles had the Holdens had, so, or, or the Ford as well. So I mean, yeah, we're not still we haven't reached them yet, but we're getting closer. Dalgren has spent some time promoting the Townsville 500 with his family. On Wednesday, Red Bull Racing Australia and Erebus Motorsport tested at Queensland Raceway. And whilst teams arrived at the track to find the fog had set in, it wasn't until in the afternoon where the action really started. Alex Davison, who's returning to the V8 Supercars as a co-driver this year with his brother Will Davison, who had been settling in to his co-driving role in the Erebus car, said there was a major brake failure which saw the number nine into a tyre wall. The team assessed the car when it went back to the pit and ruled the car out for the rest of the day's testing. In Fair Supercar News now, Dave Stewart has been appointed as the sporting and technical director of the series. Stewart makes the move after five years with Erebus, formerly Stone Brothers, as the team and engineering manager. Fair Insiders spoke to Stewart in Perth for a story on logistics of moving the series overseas again, which will be heard on next week's show. Look at our cars after today's racing here. And uh, there's, there's minimal body damage and you'd run them again tomorrow exactly the same as they are. But 
you know, you only need to get somebody to rub you up and you do a front guard, front door, rear door, rear guard, front bar and rear bar, you know, that's a lot of freight. Stewart will finish up at Erebus after Darwin and commence in his new role at V8 Supercars on July 1. Now, Wes McDougall and Ben Croak will take over his duties at the team as Stewart's departure has allowed Erebus to do an internal restructure. Ross Stone remains the team's general manager. And finally, V8X Magazine looks at the best 50 drivers in the V8 supercar era and who were the top 10 of the touring car years. There's columns from Mark Winterbottom, Mark Larkham and Gary Rogers. It's on sale now at all news agents and for digital download from v8x.com.au. And that's the news brought to you by Nobrack Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrack.com.au. That's n-o-b-r-a-c.com.au. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Would you like to own a V8 supercar just like Lounge, Winkup or Frosty? Maybe historic Australian muscle cars are more your thing. Well, stop dreaming and go to motorfocus.com.au. We have over 2,000 highly detailed models in stock ready to mail. Get your models online at motorfocus.com.au. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. We're joining us this week from On The Grid. It's Tony Shebecki from SEN. Good evening, Tony. Uh, good evening to you, Craig. And the great thing is, I haven't linked you up with another Tony this week. I finally got the uh, got the uh, rostering straight, and we've got Adrian Mussolino from V8X Magazine joining us two weeks in a row. Adrian, must be a special week. It is a very special week for us. So thanks, Amy. And uh, of course, V8X Magazine on sale now at all good and probably the bad news agents as well, but if you don't want to go and visit them, you can get it online at vadex.com.au. And you've sat down and uh, quite scarily put together, it's almost like a Mike Sheehan top 50, but this is the all-time drivers rather than the 50 best drivers at the moment. Yeah, it's top 50 of the V8 era, so we wanted to narrow the focus a bit rather than the whole Australian touring car history to 93 to now where there's been consistent regulations in terms of you know, five-litre V8. So we thought that was a better focus. It's just over 20 years since that formula came in, so we thought it was a good time. And um, But in saying that, we also do have a top 10 of the pre-Fair era, um, the Australian Touring Car Championship era. So it's, a lot of hard work went into that, a lot of polling amongst people in the paddock and um, very interesting sort of end results. It was indeed, and I know that, uh, well, I know, Tony, that it's always a fascinating thing to try and rate people from different eras, even though this is the supercar era. Well, 
love about it is it always uh, conjures up some sort of debate on the topic, no matter what it may be, whether it be best footballers, best V8 supercar drivers, best cricketers, whatever it might be. And you will never, ever come up with a top 10 yourself that will please 100% of the people. There's always someone out there that'll have someone else. How'd you leave him out? You're kidding. How'd you put him in? Oh, that's a, it's just a great debate topic. Well done, guys. Good work. And, uh, well, I, I think, uh, interestingly, Adrian, is it's not the top 10 that's probably as difficult as when you get past 25. I know when I was putting my list together, uh, it became quite difficult when you got further and further down because you're talking about people who might have had a race win, might have had a race win as a co-driver at an endurance event, or could have just been a perennial podium getter without ever getting a race win. It did, and, and that was the fascinating thing for us, is when we were putting it all together, the sort of top 25, if you like, all sort of was pretty predictable in the end. But from that sort of back half, it was a bit of a mess compiling all the results and different names were coming up. And what we found was the interesting thing about VSU's cars is how the insurance co-drivers rate. You know, those guys who didn't really get a main game break but sort of come in at Sandown and Bathurst each year and, you know, perform well enough to sort of, you know, justify their position each year. How do they rank? So we had the Greg Ritters of the world, David Bernard, um, Luke Yorden. You know, they came into the mix at that stage because, you know, there weren't enough drivers to fill the top 50 of full-time regulars who were, you know, race winners and things like that. So that's what made it a challenge for us. And um, it was very interesting to see how they gelled, you know, the co-drivers, the main gamers, those who were sort of, you know, brief appearances, like a Max Wilson who was here for only a few years. How do they compare to the established drivers who, you know, were around for most of that era? Mm. Now, Tony, if you had to think of who you'd get down towards the bottom end of the 50, who might, if you gave me five guys that you think would be about 45 to 50 on your list? Oh, I don't even know where to start with that. I was thinking more... I'm more than happy to try and come up with the top ten. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't even think of. Uh, I don't know Paul Morris. Mm, yeah, might be down there. Yep. He uh, made it. Um, Forty-three. I've got he him made down it. Forty-three. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I was close. Uh, I actually. Michael had, I had Paul Morris at thirty. I know Adrian when he looked at my list said. I'm on something because my list was so drastically different to the rest of everyone else, wasn't it, Adrian? Well, I wanted a wide range of um, people to be involved in this. So we asked everyone from you know, team personnel to media to people who have been out of the sport for a while, to those relatively new to it. We just wanted that range and definitely we saw some names jumping around the top 15. What was interesting when I sort of polled it all together was there were two names that jumped quite a bit. And it was Chaz Moster and Scott McLaughlin. And I think people didn't quite know where to rank them. They've had such a great impact early on in their careers. But how do you put them up against drivers who've been around for 10 years or so? Mm. So they jumped around quite a bit. And I think we've got Chaz at 44. Now, mm. if we did this in 10 years' time, I'm guessing he could be in the top 10. So it's sort of... it's. Also a product of its time and where the drivers are at now in their careers. And I know Chaz Moss is a fascinating one because I didn't have him in my top 50. Uh, Tony, would he make your top 50? 
Uh, you got to remember, he only had one race yeah, win, too. When yeah, exactly. But, but let's try and think of how many... Uh, can we name 50, are there 50 drivers who have actually had a race win since 1993? Yes, there's about 60, isn't there? 62? Yeah, once you throw co-drivers into the mix, you get up to that point. No, if you take out the co-drivers, if you just take out guys who have had a round or a race win in V8 supercars, would we have 50 different winners in the last 20 years? Oh, Tony, why did you ask me that question on here when I don't have my manual with me? No, but I'm I'm just thinking, thinking, you've got to see yourself some sort of criterion. For me, that would be my first criteria. If you have had a V8 race win as a single driver, not not in an endurance, but in a single driver, you automatically have to be up the top of the list, I, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So with, with Chaz, Chaz B, so, so I was going to say, with Chaz having that one win, for me, he automatically gets top 50. Yep. Uh, yep fair yeah. enough. And I think there was definitely less than 50 winners from this era. Yeah. Um, and what we asked the people that we polled was, we want you to consider championship results, backless results, um, and also, you know, race wins, but also consider any limitations or advantages they've had. And okay. an example I used to one person I was polling was, think of Mark Winterbottom now. He hasn't won a championship, but, you know, is that his fault? Is it because he hasn't been in the right team? So, you know, bear that in mind when you put him up against a driver who has won a championship. So it's things like that that I want people to consider as well, because that comes into it. Some drivers just never really landed that great drive that could take them to that next level. Mm. Mm. Interesting. It, it's a fascinating one. Well, Tony, you said you're more confident going at the top end of town, so I'll let you go first. Um, well, I'm not sure I've got these in any specific order, but I'm, I'm sort of happy to go with names initially, and I think everyone who's won a championship has to probably go into, into your top ten initially. From 1993, so Glenn Seaton, Mark Scaife, uh, surprisingly John Bauer. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering whether he is a top ten driver. So I'm going to leave John just to the side for a sec, okay. just in case we don't have any spots. <laughs> Glenn <laughs> Seaton, Mark Scaife, Craig Lowndes, uh, Marcus Ambrose, Russell Ingle has to go in there. Garth Tander, Rick Kelly, James Wynn Cup, and James Courtney all have to be in there. So I think that takes up seven spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. From there, then I'd probably go to Bathurst winners. And with that in mind, then John Bell probably does get into my top ten for the fact that he's also won Bathurst and also won a championship. So I think that gives him a, a massive advantage. Uh, another guy that has won Bathurst but didn't win a championship in that year is Jim Richards. Mm-hmm. Did win a couple of championships, though, before 93. Yeah. Yes, and that's the well, problem. That, that demarcation line does make it difficult. <laughs> Well, yeah, it certainly does. Sort of interject. That's why we did the top 10 of the pre-93 era, because I knew yeah. that I was going to have people um, calling me and saying, where's Peter Brock and you know, where's Jim Richards, why, where's Dick Johnson, why are they so far down the list? But we've got to remember their golden era was pre-93, and in our top 10, um, they feature obviously pretty highly. So I wanted that counterbalance within the magazine to say, to sort of complete the whole thing, thing, you know, bring the whole history right round. Um, so what we found was Peter Brock, Dick Johnson, Jim Richards were one, two people struggled to put them in this top 50 because what did they really achieve post-93? Um, 
Well, for Jim Richards, I think that makes it, that makes it a lot easier. I'm, I'm comfortable putting him in at number nine in my top ten for the fact that he did have two Bathurst wins yep. in, since 1993. And prior to that, was a, a decent driver as well. So I'm comfortable to have him in my top ten at number nine. Number ten. Now, you've always got to have one tricky one, don't you, in your top ten, that people say, what well, you, you have no idea. <laughs> I just throw David Brabham. Oh, in at number 10, for the fact that he's a Bathurst winner, plus also a Le Mans winner, one of the toughest races in the world to actually win. Uh, for me, I think that's going to give you some sort of cred. Yep. Uh, although, yeah, it was, I think, Adrian, I was right in saying we could only consider their V8, their V8 career? Yes, we wanted to narrow the focus to the V8 era, so that would be the V8 Supercar Championship plus the V8 Bathurst. So, we didn't count the two super as such. We sort of, you know, that came more in the consideration for the pre-93 top 10 because obviously that was an era where drivers would hop around to different series and different categories and things like that. So, yeah, this was strictly a V8. Um, so strictly V8? So, yeah. So David Braden did miss the cut. Well, what we might do is after the break, we'll have a look at the differences between Adrian's and mine. Because, Shebex, it sounds like we were more on the same page than perhaps I was with Adrian. After the break, more here on the V8 Insiders. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Would you like to own a V8 supercar just like Lowndes, Winker, Paul Frosty? Maybe historic Australian muscle cars are more your thing. Well, stop dreaming and go to motorfocus.com.au. We have over 2,000 highly detailed models in stock ready to mail. Get your models online at motorfocus.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, where Adrian Mussolino from V8X Magazine's Top 50 is certainly the talking point of today's show, along with Tony Shebecki. I'm Craig Ravel. And, uh, well, Shebex, I liked your way of thinking, and I think that I think I've probably screwed up a few drivers' averages. Um, with my uh, top 10 picks. If you look at my top 10 picks, uh, it was interesting because I had John Bow at number 11. No, sorry, I had John Bow at number 10. Of course, John Bow came in at number 9, and Adrian, I think you had him at number 8. Yes, um, I had him at number 8 because in that that start of this era, 93, 94, 95, he was really the form driver, won Bathurst in 94, won Sandown with D. Johnson in 94 as well, won the championship in 95, won, I think, the last two or three Australian Grand Prix support races. Um, he was really the form driver, and he sort of, you know, he still remained competitive up until leaving D. Johnson Racing. And um, he was one who consistently came in around the sort of back end of the top ten. Mm. So no surprise to see him at number nine, um, 
yep. it's definitely sort of, you know, when you've got the batter and championship win in that era, you're pretty much guaranteed a top 15 spot. Mm. Now, this is why I like Tony's thinking, because my number 10 was Jim Richards. The overall rating for Jim Richards was number 17, and uh, I'm just trying to think. Uh, you had Jim Richards down at 15, so... Um, uh, Tony, interesting that we both have fonder memories, or perhaps we've just interviewed Jim for longer well, and we uh, we up his number. Well, I think for the fact that he's actually won two championships since that. Oh, sorry, he didn't win two. He won two championships earlier. The fact that he was involved in two Bathursts since that mm. era, uh, since that cutoff area, gives him some sort of uh, reasoning to be in the top ten. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adrian, I had Larry Perkins at number nine, which was another one of those wild cards uh, I think you had, uh, because they had him in at 12, and and you had him... Oh, where did you have Larry in your own list? Uh, he, was, he was... Yeah, he was another one who, who sort of jumped up about... Um, just going back to Jim Richards, it's interesting, one of the drivers who beat him was his son, Steve Richards, who we yeah. used to get his 1-3 fastest in that time. Correct, um, but never really had that championship success. So again, he was one who probably suffered because he really didn't put together a championship. So he, I think, came in at fourteen. Mm. And yeah, as you said, Larry Perkins at twelve. Um, yeah, three Bathurst wins in this era, and another driver who, you know, he was of that old school where Bathurst was the grand final, and that's what he built up towards in the championship. You know, he was never really in contention. So. Um, he came in behind Rick Kelly, who has both championships there. So, what I found interesting when I, you know, polled all these together and sort of would produce the final top fifty was that there's some sort of, you know, there's good reason why someone is ahead of someone else. And I think if you look at Rick compared to Larry, then you can make that case. I was going to say what what makes it even harder for us who who aren't drivers and the like is that. If you ask drivers what would they prefer to win, Bathurst or the championship, now it depends on what time of the year you ask them. If you ask them at the start of the year, most of them would say the championship. But as the year goes on and they're a thousand points off with seven races to go, <laughs> then all of a sudden Bathurst becomes the most important thing. So because the drivers don't actually know what ranks higher, and it's the same as football, would you rather win a premiership or would you rather win a Brownlow medal? Uh, it's because the drivers can't work it out. It makes it really hard for us to rank them based on what they've done personally. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and it's interesting you, you say that because two drivers who, in most of the votes that came in, couldn't be separated were um, Glenn Seaton and Greg Murphy. Now you've got Glenn Seaton on the one hand who won two championships, but you know, heartbreakingly never won a Bathurst. And then you've got Greg Murphy who is this Bathurst gun but never broke through for a championship and. So that's you know exactly your point. Which would you rather have, the champion yeah. or the Bathurst wins? And um, it wasn't a surprise to see them come in together. I think there was one vote between them in the end. Um, and Glenn uh, Seaton getting up. Yeah, and you had Glenn Seaton, Adrian, at about six. I had him actually at eleven. So it's funny. Whereas I had Greg Murphy at five because I guess I just thought of those. Uh, those many Bathurst wins, uh, it's it's very easy to get into an argument. But if we look at our top five, I think everyone agreed with the top five. And Tony, yeah. uh, or, or, although I had Garth Tander at six, Murphy at five, um, when you get to 
the likes of Tanda, Scaife, Wing Cup, Lowndes and Ambrose, it, it, there's three of them there that are really a struck match, aren't they, Tony? Yeah, well, they are, and I think you've just given me my tenth person, and uh, a shame of me for not even thinking of him, Greg Murphy. I think he has to go into that top ten for me, as I've said, it wasn't in any order. Uh, I'd be interested to see who your number one is, boys. Well, that's where Adrian and I had a big difference because uh, we both had two, one and two switched over. And, of course, uh, Craig Lowndes, 91 wins in his career. They're probably more now. Uh, I've lost count. To Jamie Wincup, yet I had Wincup over Lowndes. I went five-time over three-time. Yeah, what we found was um, four drivers got a number one vote, and that was Ambrose, Scaife, Wincup, uh, Lowndes. Tanda was consistent, yeah. but he came in at five. Ambrose jumped around a bit because I think people struggled to never want a Bathurst, wasn't around long enough compared to the others, so he dropped a fourth. Then you've got Scaife Wink Up Mounds, and that was a real toss-up for a lot of people. Um, I think, you know, maybe the fact that Lounds and Wink Up winning races today, you know, created a bit of a bias in people's minds that they're still very visible and getting the job done, so... Um, as it panned out, Scaife came in at three, Wind Cup came in at two, and Lowndes came up at one. Now, I can honestly say the vote between Lowndes and Wind Cup was very, very close. It came down to one or two points from memory. Um, and that, I think when we looked at it in the end, we thought Lowndes is probably deserving number one. He's going to be the first driver to get 100 wins. He's been a threat throughout this whole era, from 94 to now. Um, so it sort of makes sense when you're looking at an era as a whole that someone who's been there for that long and has been race-winning form for that long deserves to be number one. Mm, it's, uh, it's always a lot of fun to uh, go through, and you can actually see the reasoning and, uh, and pick apart this top 50 in the latest V8X magazine. Now, you mentioned about the top 10 before the V8 supercar era, and once again, yeah. we were quite different, Adrian, but uh, Shebex, who's your number one pre-V8 supercar era driver? This is this is a really tough one. You you probably got what a half a dozen maybe to pick from. You got Moffat, you got Brock, you got Johnson, you got uh, Gagan, you got uh, Jim Richards, Norm Beachy, Jim Richards. Uh, You've got to go for Brock. You just have to. I think just on everything. Bathurst wins, championships. He won championships, won races. Uh, you've got to go for Brock as number one. You just have to. I, I, I wouldn't. I couldn't think of anyone else you could put ahead of him. Well, Adrian, I know Brock's one in the magazine, but is he number one in your mind? I now you're going to test my memory here. I think I went Duke Johnson as number one. You did, but in the magazine, it ended up Peter Brock pretty comfortably in the end. And when I came to writing it all and putting it all together and sort of justifying each decision, what? What we found was it was very easy to make Brock as number one when you look at the records he still holds. I mean, the fact that he still holds the record for most pole positions from an era when there were so fewer races than there are now, um, that's pretty incredible. And and that alone shows the domination um, that he showed throughout that era. You know, his Bathurst record is obviously incredible. So it sort of became, you know, he sort of led the field there the real contest was between two and three, between Dick Johnson and Jim Richards, and that was, again, one or two votes in that, with Moffat not far behind. Um, 
and Dick Johnson just got there in the end. A few people had him as their number one, and that got him over the line over Tim Richards and Alan Moffat. Mm. It's it's great fun, Shebex, going through this. Yeah, it is. What about if you can read about all the uh, the era, and we can read about the pre-Viet Supercar era in V8X magazine. What about if I said to you now, give me your top three drivers who are currently on the racetrack? Oh, well, Wing Cup and Lounge still have to go one-two. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question there. And Do I need to well, give you five? You've got to put Winterbottom in at three. You've got to put Winterbottom in at three, don't you, just for the fact that he's consistently present on podiums. Mm. Yeah, well, a few people, uh, the feedback I've had so far, the magazine's just gone on sale, so it's sort of starting to trickle in. And one of the comments I'm getting now is people are surprised that Winterbottom made it intense in the top 50. Um, I, I think I think people understand now that he is, you know, he is punching above his weight in terms of the car and he's had um, and the fact that he's leading the championship by, what, 100-plus points at this probably helped get him across that line into the top 10. But, yeah, I think definitely he'd be my third choice. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, as the the biggest question is... The biggest question is... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the interesting thing for me is, you know, if we did this poll in five to ten years, where the McLaughlin and Mostert's and I think that's the exciting thing for us is that they made it in the top 50, but... Really, their potential and their future is, you know, know, it's very promising. Yeah, it's a fascinating question because as the season stands after Perth, before Darwin, does Scott McLaughlin, Fabian Coulthard and Chas Mostert all make it into the, uh, the, well, into the top six because we've already got the three, the first three locked in, Tony? Yeah, exactly. That was going to be my my question, Adrian. Sorry for cutting you off there just a second ago. Uh, if you put your if you put the crystal ball in front of you and, and give it a bit of a rub and have a look, who comes out as the top three drivers in ten years' time? Well, yeah, yeah, that's all for I, us. It's hard to look past McLaughlin, isn't it? I think no, I would have thought so. So early, um, and, and Van Gisbergen probably has to be there as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We I think, I think Van Gisbergen too. Yeah. The big thing with Van Giers is consistency has to come. And I think that's he, he's, he's blisteringly fast, but on an off day, he can't, you know, he can't notch up the midfield, the, the high midfield back of the top 10 results. He's sort of marred down in that 15 to 20 bracket when it goes wrong. And that's yeah. what he's got to turn around. Whereas we've seen with, you know, a lot of drivers... Um, particularly Winterbottom, a bad day, he can get himself to, you know, not just the back of the top ten, he can get himself towards that number five spot. And what I don't think we've seen, guys, or what I don't think, if you have a look around the racetrack at the moment in a lot of categories, I don't think there's a Mark Marquez out there who's going to come in to V8 supercars in a rookie year and just blow everyone away. I just don't think there's that person there at the moment. No, I think... uh... Scotty McLaughlin as a sophomore is doing a pretty good job, though. Yeah, yeah, without doubt. And I think the key point there is, um, and we know this at VATX, we're sitting down with Scott and Chaz um, this week for a joint interview, and the thing that dawned on us when we were planning is, thank God that they've sort of come together 
and sort of, you know, they're at that same age or at the same stage of their career because really that sets up the rivalry perfectly. They're both, what, 21 and 22. They were both rookies last year. They're both in factory teams this year. They've both won races in their first two seasons. So, so there's not that one Craigrounds type figure who's, who's emerged with no one else around him. It's, there's two of them, and that makes it even more exciting because mm. where are their careers going to go from here and how are they going to sort of you know, share the championships and Bathurst between them? Mm. And there's a lot said. What was Brock in the early days without Moffat and in the latter stages without Johnson? Mm. It was the Very rivalry... Tight. And it's like, you know, what's Collingwood without Carlton? What's Richmond without Essendon? Um, it keeps him coming through the gates, doesn't it? That's yeah. what it's all about. And those, those rivalries, Adrian, are, are certainly going to sell magazines and radio shows in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, as we're speaking, I'm through the top 50, and even now it's sort of undercut and thing. You know, some drivers maybe don't belong there or are too high or too too low but um i must say publisher alan edwards when he said to me ashby and reed and i've gone how the heck did i leave them out of the 50 um and i I believe he was the only one that got ashby and reed in his 50 yes um again that's what made it so interesting was there was those names from the past and you know there were two bathurst winners from this era who missed out entirely in the top 50 now um some people might think that's unjust but um, it's Greg Hansford and Nick Perkett, but at the end of the day, they probably don't have, didn't have the mileage under their belts at that stage, and um, so it, it, you know the debate will never end. But that's what we wanted. We wanted to create this talking point, and we wanted to sort of relive the last 20 years of the series and the great drivers. So hopefully, when people are flicking through the top 50, they get a bit nostalgic about it all. Well, Adrian Mike Sheehan from Mussolino from V8X Magazine, great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a lot of fun and hope everyone enjoys the mag. And Tony, great to have you on before you're off swanning it over uh, overseas once again for SEN, but of course on the grid is going to power on throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, it certainly will, Craig. And uh, six weeks left, so more than happy to come back on again before we fly off. All right, then. Oh, the White Flag Lap is up next, where we hear from some of the team owners and bosses about that uh, all-encompassing question, parody. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Would you like to own a V8 supercar just like Lounge, Wink Up or Frosty? Maybe historic Australian muscle cars are more your thing. Well, stop dreaming and go to motorfocus.com.au. We have over 2,000 highly detailed models in stock ready to mail. Get your models online at motorfocus.com.au. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. This week on the Munro Shock Absorbers White Flag Lap, we look at the new generation car and ask, is the parity far off? Gary Rogers has a car that's certainly been singled out as being ahead of the game, but what does he think about the rumblings around the paddock? Well, I don't think there's any debate. No one's debated it with me. I mean, we built our cars by the rule book that everyone built theirs by. And then they changed the rule book, 
Oh, look, if you're good enough, do the job. If you're not good enough, go and do something else. Roland Dane also spoke to us about parity. Uh, there's no question that um, we have got uh, probably the best parity of any um, equivalent series around the world. Uh, we've got we had four of the five manufacturers um, win races this year. Uh, we've um, uh, had um, yeah, cars from all, manu- all, all manufacturers running in the top ten at one stage or another. We've got incredibly tight grids, level of competition that other championships just dream about. So uh, we've got uh, we've got an extremely um, extremely good situation at the moment, and uh, the uh, things that are. The differences between the the cars that are small, there are small differences, and if there are small differences between the cars, it's a good thing. Is uh, I'm not, and I don't believe that our customers really want to watch uh, Formula Three racing. Um, so if there are um, uh, small differences and and some cars are stronger at one venue than another etc or the the combinations are as very delicately uh, balanced um so yeah you can be 10th one weekend and and winning the next or whatever then uh, uh surely that's a good thing hrt's principal adrian burgess gave us his views oh, look, i don't think we're a long way away from having something that's fairly level you know a level playing field so at the start of the year everybody uh, reacts uh, maybe overreacts to one race or the next race, and you know when you when you see the thing settle down, and once now we've had 14 races, you know we're not. Uh, I don't think we're a long way out. There's, there has been some changes that have helped. You know the COG um, change was definitely levelled the playing field a little bit, but I don't see us being a long way away from having a good uh, good championship where everyone's got a fair crack at it. And perhaps Brad Jones summed it up the best. Well. I think parity, you know, this is a parity formula, so it's important that we get it as close as we can. And there's some things that, you know, it's almost like they've got a list that they're working down through to get to a point to to get the cars as similar as they can. We have some great racing here. All the, the team owners are, are busy trying to work out uh, and make things as equal as they can. You know, Nissan want things as equal as they can. Uh, you know, the Volvo's come along and done really, really well. So um, everyone's looking for parity. Holden's still very competitive and so is the Ford. So I'd say the parity is probably not too bad at the moment but when we get to where we are with these cars, you want the last little piece all the time and you want to go your way because at the end of the day our job is to beat everyone else. So I think, look, the racing's great, it's close, it's as good as it's ever been. Getting different winners again, you can turn up at a race meeting and not know who the winner is. It wasn't like that a couple of years ago and I think that's great for the fans and hopefully that's one of the things that's starting to bring people back into our business. When is Brad Jones Racing going to announce manufacturer support? That's all we have time for this week as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now.
Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.